The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. If you keep up with any of the Catholic media outlets, or certainly probably the secular ones as well, you will likely have heard a few things, a couple of particular instances in recent weeks, uh, which are rather scandalous, incredibly scandalous, in the life of the church. Two things being, one is the now former cardinal, uh, Theodore McCarrick, and his ring of sexual abuse of priests and seminarians, as well as youth and other adults throughout his time as uh, priest, bishop, and presumably cardinal as well. And secondly, the Pennsylvania grand jury report that was released this Wednesday which recounted uh, a 70-year history of clerical abuse and cover-up, including some 300 priests over the course of 70 years uh, and 1,000 victims and counting uh, who were victims of sexual abuse by clergy. In response to that, the church has to acknowledge something. Uh, We have to respond in some way. You can't just act like that's not happening Or it's only just in that one particular part of the country and everybody else is perfectly fine. Certainly not the case. So indeed throughout the U.S. bishops uh, are responding to this, um, to the situation that we find ourselves in, this difficulty. And so Bishop Much has asked that this following statement be read and all the masses celebrated in our diocese this weekend. So he says... Recently reported abuses by some clergy from other Catholic dioceses in our country leave us heartbroken and sickened. As the church continues to address the issue of sexual abuse of minors and vulnerable adults, news of the horrendous and inexcusable offenses committed by a former cardinal and revelations of the decades of criminally and morally reprehensible abuse contained in the report of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury reveal a spiritual crisis in our church. Our shame is intensified by the sometime failure of church leadership to hold abusers accountable. In the words of Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, President of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, 
We already know that one root cause is the failure of Episcopal leadership. The result was that scores of beloved children of God were abandoned to face an abuse of power alone. This is a moral catastrophe. These recent news reports have revealed a mishandling of reported allegations, a covering up of sinful actions, and an institutional failure to not hold offenders accountable. Understandably, there are concerns about how prolific such abuses have been throughout the universal church throughout the years. The responsibility of any diocese goes beyond expressions of sorrow and prayers for those affected. As the local church of Baton Rouge, we are committed to accountability and transparency regarding our response to accusations of sexual abuse by the clergy of our church. We have worked diligently to be transparent in reporting all criminal sexual behavior by diocesan clergy with minors in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Our goal is to do everything in our power to protect children. This involves the need to have every church leader, to hold every church leader to the highest standards of morality. If we fail to protect children, we have failed in a fundamental mission of our church. Our current policies and procedures for handling reported accusations can be found on the diocesan website under the Child and Youth Protection link. We have been faithful to the principles articulated in these policies and procedures, and we are committed to their continuing application, timely implementation, and rigorous enforcement. In the midst of this situation, we turn to St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Since we have this ministry through the mercy shown us, we are not discouraged. We hold this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing power may be of God and not from of us. We are afflicted in every way, but not constrained, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we are not discouraged. Bishop Emeritus Robert Munch, Apostolic Administrator of the Diocese of Baton Rouge. I was rather excited to preach about the Eucharist again this weekend, but in light of everything that's happened, I can't. I don't know if you've read through any of the jury reports or read any of the the articles detailing uh, former Cardinal McCarrick's um, sins, essentially, but if you haven't, I don't necessarily encourage that you do because they are, frankly, disgusting and appalling, inexcusable, and every account that I've read ultimately describes a person's feeling as, I felt physically sick. And hearing just a handful of the things in the reports, I felt the same. Listening to the various reports, listening to the responses of the bishops and cardinals of the church in America, and taking all these things in and praying about them before our Lord, I was convicted of one thing, and one, one word kept coming to mind over and over and over, and it was, this is demonic. Absolutely demonic. And I don't say that as a, a sort of way to give somebody a free pass to say, the devil made me do it. Because that's not at all what I'm saying. Every man who has committed these sins, every priest, every bishop, every cardinal who has been at fault in any of these things, whether large or small, 
whether personally committing or covering them up for themselves and their own concern or even just concern for the church. Every one of those men made their decision themselves, and they are responsible, period. The consequences that come to them are theirs, and they are just. But I say it is demonic because what the demonic does, what Satan does, is he takes something that is good and it is holy, and he twists it for evil purpose. Every sin that we can name ultimately has a good that's intended that the devil takes and he twists it for something else to a perverted, a, a, an evil end. And that's exactly what we see in every one of these cases. Places, events, things, people who are supposed to be holy, consecrated, set aside. For the purpose of the use of Christ, for the glory of God, and for the good and the salvation of our souls was used by the devil through these men as instruments of torture, of pain, of abuse, and more. It is textbook work of the evil one. Again, the men themselves are purely responsible. Because they have said yes, not to the works of Christ, but to the works of Satan. Period. What they receive is just. And all of the prayers, all of the things that the bishops say throughout the country, certainly they say we can't just rely upon expressions of sorrow and assurance of prayers. There has to be some change, and this is absolutely true. It's easy to say things with words. It's difficult to put it into action. It proves you actually mean it when you do it. And things do need to change. For far too long, bishops have been able to watch over themselves. The suggestion was, maybe we should have a committee of bishops to watch over the bishops. To which every person, in their, every layperson, especially in their right mind, went... And anybody see a problem with that in light of what just happened? Bishops covering up for bishops? They already did it for priests. And so the call is for a structural change in the life of the church. Indeed, where no longer for fear, a seminarian who has been abused by a priest or by a bishop can report it. Rather than having the priesthood dangled over his head saying, unless you permit this, you won't be ordained, which has happened. If you tell anybody it's a black mark on your record, you won't be received anywhere. A man with a genuine call to the priesthood is manipulated by the evil that takes place in these men's hearts. Honesty must be had. Transparency must be seen. Accountability must be present in everyone, every bishop, every priest, period. Many of us, priests and bishops as well, and of our presumed lay folks, thought that we had seen the worst of the priest scandals around 2002, as they call it, the Long Lent, where we hear and we heard about Boston and the numerous other scandals that had broken throughout the country, and we thought it was past us. But we have found that it was not. 
there was still another layer that was at work. And now is the time for change again. And it hurts. It hurts the church. In addition to all of these systemic changes that need to take place, the oversight committees, those to be able to ensure that people have a safe place, a confident place where they can go to report the things that have happened to them by the clergy, as well as specifically by bishops, either by action or by neglect, there needs to be change. At the same time, we need not discount the value, importance, and indeed the necessity of prayer. Again, it's easy for us to simply say, we express our sorrows and we'll pray for you. But there's an importance in actually doing both of those. We must weep with those who weep. We must pray for those who are in need of prayer. And we must indeed work for change where the change needs to be made. All three of these things are necessary for us out of Christian obligation. What I would encourage you to, especially for yourselves, is to be able to embrace the spirit of prayer and reparation. Reparation is a word that we don't often use today. When we hear about it, oftentimes it's referred to in reference to the sacred heart of Jesus, reparation to the heart of Christ. What reparation is, is it's an acknowledgement that where love, where mercy, where peace, where justice has lacked, we as members of the body of Christ can do something to repair it. It has power, prayer. This is what we see in the Holy Eucharist and in the, the readings today, is that Christ specifically talks about, he says, if you eat my body, if you drink my blood, you will have life. The Eucharist gives life. It has power. It changes things. And if we come before our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist, if we receive him in the Eucharist, if we plead to him and beg before him in the Eucharist, by joining ourselves to him, by coming to him in a presence and in prayer, and in sorrows and in sufferings, it has power. Prayer changes things. I think we've all experienced it too. How many people do we know, whether in our communities, our families, and our parish, here in the chapel today even, who on account of prayer were healed? Who on account of prayer were miraculously healed sometimes? Or when things looked rather bleak and then we looked as if we would soon be celebrating a funeral, we instead rejoiced to see them sitting in the pews next to us again. These are testaments to the power of prayer. And if there is ever a time where the church needs prayer, it's today. Our church is experiencing a scourging. And in many regards... It's deserved because of the wickedness of the priests. And so it's for us to be able to come and console Christ in his sufferings. Christ in his church. I suggest that we would pray in specific for four intentions. 
first and foremost, to pray for victims and their families. People who did and should have been able to trust the priest, the bishop, the church, were abused, neglected, covered over, paid off, set aside. Numerous accounts throughout the reports of the individuals who were victims of abuse, specifically from the clergy, indicate numbers of those who had become subsequently physically disabled from the abuse, those who became addicts, those who committed or attempted suicide, and more. Thousands of souls whose lives were wrecked by this. And they need our prayers to be able to pray for them. To be able to pray for them in their sufferings. To be able to pray for the healing of their heart from this wound that certainly goes deep. But also for those who have not come forward to be able to have the courage to do so. Because we recognize that the devil loves to keep things in the dark. And it would be the greatest delight of the devil to have victims continue to stay in the dark. Only ten years from now to be able to rise again and have another scandal in the church. And then ten years after that another. To continually time after time after time break down the body of Christ on earth. To pray for the victims who have suffered in this life, that they may have the courage to come forward in truth and honesty, to be able to receive whatever healing and recompense we can give, indeed to express our sorrows, but also the justice might be served here in this world. So pray for the victims as well as for their families. Secondly, I would encourage you to pray for the church throughout the world. We recognize that, again, this isn't just a a one-diocese, one-time thing. This is something that was rather a systemic problem, and certainly not just in America, not just in the Northeast. In response to this, it's normal for people to begin to question things. And here, again, the devil loves to play. To scandalize people such that it would be easy for a person to say, well, if that's what Catholicism is, I don't want it anymore. To find a new church. If that's what the priesthood is about, then why do we need him? To reject the priest and the sacraments of the church that he comes to provide. To be able to cast doubt and despair upon everything that is good and holy in the church. Because maybe, just maybe, things aren't what they seem. And even if we don't do all of these things and push away entirely... Certainly the temptation is, well, I at least will protect myself and my family. And to harden our hearts to Christ in his church. To keep a safe distance. Just in case. So pray for the church, for yourselves, for our fellow parishioners, and for people throughout the world that we might not push away from the church, but be able to pray for her. That she might be changed. I ask you to the same to pray for the world. For those who are not in the church. For those who have left the church. For those who mock the church. 
Indeed, it is easy to mock in this situation, to cast doubts, to point fingers, to cast blame, to say, if that's Christianity, why does the world even need it anymore? We've moved on. Many, many comments and commentaries have said much the same. But again, this is what the devil wants, to keep people from the place where grace comes to us, the place where salvation comes to us on the altar. So we pray for the world. And lastly, to pray for the clergy of the church, the deacons, the priests, and the bishops, cardinals, of course, included in that. And to pray specifically for the sanctification of the clergy. Because the simple fact is, men who are consecrated to be the presence of Christ, the charity of Christ, the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and everything that is Christ, are still human. In the past, there's been a temptation to be able to think that because a priest is a priest, he's untouchable. That he can't sin anymore. That he does no wrong. Which anyone who reads even the briefest of reports on any of these things immediately recognizes is not the case. Priests are human. Priests, when tempted, can fall. And this is what we see. And when they fall, it is tragic. So pray for the sanctification of the clergy of the church. That priests, deacons, and bishops might be who we are called to be. Not to give in to the temptations of the world. Not to fall to the temptations of the flesh. Not to listen even for the briefest of moments to the evil one's whispers in our ears. But to be men of holiness. Saintliness. This is what the church needs, to pray for the clergy, for those who are called by God, that they might remain, for those who are not, that they would leave now. An interesting thing is raised, an interesting question, a point, really. We often think that priests are called by God. Indeed, we are. I believe I was. But there's a recognition that in the life of the world today, God calls men to the priesthood, but so does the devil. Because the devil knows, if I have a priest, I have authority. To have power over a priest is equivalent in his eyes to having a power over Christ himself. He tempted the Lord and the Lord defeated him. Three times over. But the Lord was victorious. And the priests, that's not always the case. And so the clergy need your prayers. That the Lord who has called those will sustain them. And if any are unworthy of the gift of the priesthood, the diaconate, or the bishopric, that they leave again and soon because we do not need them. We need holy priests. We've had enough mediocre ones.
Those are the four things that I would ask for you to pray. Again, first and foremost, families of the victims and the victims themselves. Secondly, the church. Thirdly, the world. And fourthly, for the sanctification of the clergy. Of course, I think it was last week or maybe the week before that I encourage everyone to spend time in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament each week to be able to pray. And so I'd certainly encourage you to do so. But again, I would ask you to offer up prayers, fastings, mortifications, all in reparation for what is taking place in our church today. Fasting has power. Prayer has power. To do all of these things is good and is necessary. To love where love has not been given. To be present where presence has not been there. To be merciful where there was no mercy. To be just where there needs justice. To this end, I would invite every one of our parishioners and indeed anyone and everyone who wants to attend to a Holy Mass offered. It will be offered on the first Saturday of September. I'll have further information in the bulletin next weekend. But it will be a Mass of penance and reparation, specifically for this intention, for the victims and their families, for their church, for the world, and for the sanctification of the clergy. Will be a mass of penance and it will be followed by a holy hour, a Eucharistic holy hour of penance and prayer to be able to ask our Lord to pour out his grace upon the church and to heal the wounds that are so raw, especially in this time, that have been so for decades and that certainly continue to be so in the hearts of so many. If you can't make it that specific day, or if you're not a parishioner here, certainly I will understand. But I would ask that you would make an special intention to go to an additional Mass at some time in the next couple of weeks. To be able to spend an additional time in prayer. To be able to pray specifically for these intentions. And so this is where we are. The church. Our mother. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting. We offer our expressions of sorrow. We weep with those who weep. We work for justice anywhere where there is injustice in the world today. And we pray. Pray frequently. Pray hard. Because our church needs it.